Welcome to Squares and Sharps Sports Betting Show. I am your host, Karan Bhatia. We are going to be looking at the big UFC 257 card. It is, of course, the rematch. Dustin Poirier versus Conor McGregor. We're going all the way out to Abu Dhabi, back to Fight Island for this fight. Now, remember, this is a rematch they first fought in 2014, so a lot has changed between now and then. Both of these fighters have evolved in a big way, and it's going to be fascinating to see how that fight plays out. And we have a stacked undercard, of course. We have Dan Hooker versus Michael Chandler. That's another great matchup. We're going to see how Chandler does making that jump up from Bellator into UFC. It's a stacked card top to bottom. There's a lot of really interesting fights, a lot of different spots for value. And I'm going to be speaking to some experts to help you find the best spots for value. First up, I'll be talking to John Stargarian. You know him as the co-host of the Club and Sub podcast. We're going to go through this entire main card, the prelims, the early prelims, and we're going to find spots for value. And then it's AJ Shulo. He is a contributor to MMA Odds Breaker. He's going to break it down, give you his picks. He's going to tell you where you can find value on this big UFC 257 card. So without further ado, let's get into it. This podcast is brought to you by squaresandsharps.com. Squares and Sharps is what winners wear. We are the brand for sports bettors. Please visit squaresandsharps.com for high quality sports betting apparel and gear. Use promo code CURRENT2020 for 15% off your next order and for free shipping. Do you like Jorge Masvidal's Scarface inspired suit? It was created by Mohan's Custom Tailors of NYC. Turn your own dream into a reality. Visit the legendary Mohan's Custom Tailors located steps away from Grand Central at 301 Madison Avenue. You can contact them at 212-697-0050 or by visiting mohansnyc.com. Make an appointment now. If you're enjoying this show, check out my other podcast, Ask the Experts with Karen Bhatia. It's available on Apple Podcasts, YouTube, and wherever else you listen to podcasts. And check out my YouTube page, youtube.com backslash Karen Bhatia. I am Karen Bhatia. This is Squares and Sharps. I am joined by John Stargarian. And you know him on Twitter as MMA Fox, M-M-A-F-A-W-K-E-S. He is the co-host of the Club and Sub podcast, and we're going to get you ready for UFC 257. John, how are you doing today, my man? Great. Thanks for having me on, Karen. Really appreciate it. And uh, no problem at all. And I'm, we're all looking forward to this big 257, uh, UFC 257 card. It's always a, a big fight when uh, Conor McGregor is uh, fighting. We, we saw him about a year ago in there against Cowboy. And now, obviously, taking on Dustin Poirier in the rematch. Now, the first fight was a long time ago in 2014. So a lot has changed between now and then. Um, I'm looking at the odds right now as we're speaking on five dimes. Connor, minus 290. Poirier, plus 245. Obviously, those numbers are changing uh, as we speak. So what do you make of this matchup? and, And what do you think about the numbers for this one? Um, I'll start with the odds first. Like in terms of, look, I'm a huge Conor McGregor fan just in general. He's probably what got me into MMA, to be honest, as casual as that is to say. Uh, But 
you know, even starting with that, I think the odds are wide, a little wide here, wide enough to play Poirier. I'm not really sure. Like in terms of the actual matchup, it's like, I don't know how, obviously they've both evolved and changed, but I'm not sure how much the dynamic from their first fight has really changed that much. You know, you look at the two of them and, you know, they're both elite strikers, but Connor, both in terms of metrics and in terms of tape, it's still on another level. Uh, you know, Poirier can't really, isn't likely to be able to threaten him grappling much. He may attempt takedowns, but the only guy who's really ever given McGregor a big problem when the grappling was Khabib. And so I find it hard to believe he's going to have a lot of success there. And then just in terms of looking at Poirier recently, I mean, you look at the hooker fight and like, I guess the in theory, the idea here would be he needs to last for two to three rounds and then kind of wear on Connor. But you know, Hooker was playing pinball with his head for about 10 minutes in that fight before he gassed out. And to me, like, that is concerning. Like, Hooker is a decent striker, and we'll talk about him on this card. But he's not, you know, he's pretty sloppy, and he's kind of a zombie. Like, that, just those first 10 minutes, you know, he absorbed, I think, like, 80 strikes. And it was it was pretty ugly. And I don't think, against someone who's as precise and who could bring the volume Connor can and kind of just reads in the pocket that Hooker doesn't have, I just... I struggle to see him surviving. I guess he could. Um, but at the end of the day, it's a kickboxing match, right? It's going to be inherently somewhat high variance. You know, they're both going to throw a lot. They both hit hard. So I think Price and Connor up around 75% is probably a little wide because there, is, there are going to be opportunities for Poirier to hit him. Um, and, you know, look, Connor's knocked out the vast majority of his opponents, but he hasn't knocked out everybody. And, you know, if this gets into round three, it could get interesting. So. And that, that's definitely the conventional wisdom here is that Connor is a quick starter. We've seen him. Uh, he took out Cowboy, and I think it was 40 seconds. Um, yeah. he, he's taken out Aldo, and I, I believe it was 14 seconds. We know that he is a quick starter. He's a striker. He likes to get the job done as fast as possible. Um, and Poirier, I mean, the, the longer it goes, probably advantage Poirier, but we, we shall see. Um, yeah. Let me ask you about this. Obviously, the weight is also a, a big storyline in this fight. The last time we saw Connor at 155 pounds, it didn't end well for him and that was October yeah. of 2018 against Khabib um, we know that he's campaigned at 170 had success at 170 against Cowboy about a year ago how much do you think the weight is going to play a factor in this fight not a ton I mean we've seen Poirier at 55 a lot and in terms of Connor you know the guy at least from what we've seen in the training videos he's posted and whatnot looks you know, in the best shape of his life right now. You know, he looked like he, it's a little odd to me, not odd that he's going back to 55. I guess we always knew this was coming because he still wants to chase the Khabib rematch. But, you know, he looked like he'd really filled out when he fought Cowboy. And now he looks even more filled out. But unless I see something on the scale, like he's, you know, falling down or struggling to get off it tomorrow, I'm not particularly concerned about it. Like he takes care of his body. He's a physical freak, so... And in terms of taking care of your body and, and things like that, we, we know the Conor McGregor that we've seen in the octagon can vary. Against Khabib, he didn't necessarily look like a motivated fighter. He was drinking at the press conferences. He didn't seem to be all there mentally. A lot of stuff going on outside of the cage. Um, it seems like now we're more at the motivated McGregor. And, and that was, we saw that last time around against Cowboy, right? He's working with Tony Robbins for yeah. the mental approach. Obviously, the physical approach is there in terms of training. It seems like from everything we've seen to the lead up to this fight, it is that motivated McGregor. He has a calmness about him. Um, it seems like he's doing everything the right way, like he really wants to be there. Uh, what do you think? Do you think the motivated McGregor is going to show up on Saturday night? I mean, <laughs> to be honest, I could do two hours on the Habib fight and why it's not nearly as bad as people make it, make it out to be. Um, 
But yeah, I mean, he seems like, I mean, let's be honest, the guy's made, the guy's got hundreds of millions of dollars in the bank. We know proper 12 has been very successful. You know, he could probably just keep taking bum fights like Cowboy or go fight Nate Diaz again if he wanted to. And like, I, even though he's beaten Poirier, I'd say Poirier is a far more dangerous fight than someone like Nate Diaz. And so, you know, the fact that he's taking this fight and looking to make the step up to fight the lightweight title again, I mean, I think it's telling in and of itself, especially when you can just wake up and go cash a $10 million check. So yeah, I think he'll be pretty motivated. And, you know, as Connor calls it, he has forever money now. Right. Uh, and and uh, definitely Proper 12 is, is doing well. I'm probably partially responsible for helping those sales. I'm sure you are uh, You are too. When you're doing your research for a fight like this, obviously we mentioned it's a rematch, but the first fight yeah. was in 2014. And, and both of these guys have really matured, evolved in different ways since right. then. I mean, they're very, very different guys this time around. Um, how much do you look at the first fight when you're kind of trying to handicap this one? I mean, I looked at it, but in terms of how closely do you look at it, it, the thing is, it's like, yeah, Connor's definitely a matured aspects of his game, but in terms of his basic game is fairly similar to what it was back then. Whereas I think Poirier, he is someone we actually have seen evolve. Not that he wasn't good at featherweight, but you know, he never looked like he was going to turn into an elite fighter when he was in featherweight, in my opinion, anyway, whereas he made the step up to 55 and looked totally different. And so it's like, I take it into consideration because it's really, it's, some of the only data we have of them being in a Southpaw versus Southpaw matchup. So, you know, that's a good place to draw from it. But I actually think, especially given their ages and given the fact that someone like Poirier has been through so many wars and, you know, how infrequent Connors fought, that looking at data over the last two to three years is a bit more relevant to this particular fight. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's you have to look at the differences uh, that th- that these guys have gone through. Physically, yeah. Connor has done a lot of things differently. He moved up in weight. Uh, he went to boxing, so that was a different tri- type of training. Um, and then in terms of the mental aspect, I mean, Connor definitely had the edge in the in the mental aspect yeah. the first time around. And maybe Dustin wasn't ready for the moment then. Um, maybe he is now, right? That's that's what we're going to find out. Um, obviously, Dustin's been the more active in terms of MMA uh, yeah. more recently, so that. So that's what we're going to find out. So just to kind of put a button on this main event, I mean, we talked about the numbers. If you were to recommend to someone, would you recommend making a play on this one? Would you recommend a pass? What, what would you say? I mean, it's hard to tell somebody it's like the biggest event of the year not to bet on it if you enjoy betting. But in terms of if you're actually looking to find value on the fight, I probably wouldn't bet it, to be honest. I, I think if you want to play, you know, I'd maybe play the under. I think it's two and a half right now. Um, like that. I don't think that's a bad spot to play um, or take some kind of a Connor KO one prop. Cause I think that's at like plus 170. Wouldn't take it anything big, maybe just something to have something on it, but I don't think there's really any serious value here at the moment. And we move down the line here. We have another uh, fascinating matchup, and that is Dan Hooker versus Michael Chandler. So we know we saw Hooker uh, yeah. against Poirier, uh, the loss, obviously, and Chandler. Uh, coming in from Bellator, it's always a question mark when people come in from other leagues in terms of the competition that they faced in that league and what the, how that compares to UFC. And right. we're obviously going to find out on on Saturday night. So, how would you uh, assess Hooker versus Chandler? So that's kind of the big question, right? It's a step up in competition. I mean, at the end of the day, you know, Chandler's fought a hard strength of schedule, but it's incomparable to fighting, you know, guys in the top 10 at lightweight in the UFC. Uh, I actually did make a bet here. I bet um, a unit at Chandler plus 150 a few weeks back. Uh, In terms of where the actual line is now, you could maybe justify a bet on Chandler. It's close. You know, he is a dog. My thinking here is basically, look, 
I worry about step up in competition. It's a valid concern. But the truth of the matter is we really haven't seen Hooker has really never fought a wrestler. If you actually look at his whole career and we have seen him have some issues against people who have grappled with him. Like granted he was gassed out at the time, but you know, Poirier was really giving him serious problems on the mat. Uh, if you go back a couple of years, I think it's 2017. He fought Jason Knight who look, Jason, Knight was always a fun guy, but I wouldn't call him any kind of elite wrestler. And he, basically controlled him and just took him down over and over again that fight when it wasn't working out on the feet. Same thing with that year, Rodriguez, another guy not known for his wrestling, really. Uh, Jim Miller took him down pretty easily and then for whatever reason, let him up. I just, I favor Poker pretty dramatically in the striking here. I think he's got a real good chance to KO Chandler. If Chandler wastes any time on the feet and comes forward just throwing bombs, he's very vulnerable defensively. But like looking at Chandler, Chandler's, you know, he's a division one all-American wrestler. He's shown that he can make it work in MMA. You know, we've seen him use his wrestling against some decent competition, you know, Eddie Alvarez, Benson Henderson. He's dominated guys like Goti Amachi on the ground. And I am kind of of the mind here, you know, maybe Hooker's made some improvements since the Jason Knight fight, but I think it's kind of hard to know because we haven't seen him against somebody who's really going to force the pace like that. Like Dustin attempted seven takedowns, but Dustin's not a very good wrestler. This is a very good wrestler who, if he's smart, is going to attempt takedowns and who I'm pretty confident is going to be able to hit takedowns if he wants to. Um, so to me, the question is really, what will Chandler do? Like he's gotten himself knocked out before deciding to swing bombs with guys. Uh, but if he comes out here and does the right thing and puts Hooker on the ground, I actually slightly favor him. The question really becomes, how does Hooker react to that? My guess, I don't know this for a fact. My guess is it won't, he won't have an easy time getting up. Um, now with that kind of a big question mark, I wouldn't bet Chandler as a favorite, but when you're talking about him being a dog, you know, I think you can have some questions still out there. So yeah, Eileen Chandler, like ever so slightly here. It will be a fascinating fight. We'll learn so much about each guy. It's almost like you yeah. want the data of this fight so you can decide what to yeah. what to make a play because we're going to learn a ton about each one. Um, the, the thing about Hooker, I know that he's he's talked to his teammates, Izzy and Volkanovski, and he said that he wants to learn from them in terms of sticking to the game plan, right? And how important do you think that'll be uh, on Saturday night for him to actually stick to that game plan and, and kind of retain his composure? Well, I mean, the game plan, I think, is going to be to sprawl and brawl, I'd imagine. Uh, the problem for me with Hooker is I don't really see, like, you look at guys like take a Conor McGregor, take an Israel Adesanya, guys who actually know how to pump the jab and move, like keep on the outside, use that big frame that they have. You know, Hooker, while he hits hard and he's a pretty strong offensive fighter, he's really never shown any ability to keep distanced and, you know, really move out of positions. Like, Poirier was basically walking him down and hitting him square with really no problem. And, you know, that's kind of been a hallmark of his career. You go back to the Edson Barboza fight, we saw the same thing. And while, you know, that may be the game plan to stay out of the grappling, I don't really see the tool. I don't think he's demonstrated the tools to be able to stop Chandler from getting in deep. So, like I said, I kind of think it's like, Look, if Chandler's like, okay, I'm going to strike with you, then yes, he's going to be able to probably stick to the game plan, stay on the outside and carve him up. But again, to me, it's like it depends what Chandler decides to do. I think if he takes the path of least resistance, there's going to be room to have success. We shall see how it plays out on Saturday night. That that fight is a three-round fight, so we'll see how that also yep. that also uh, has an effect. So as we continue down the card, we're moving to women's flyweight, and that is Jessica I versus JoJo Calderwood. Um, this is a, this is another interesting fight. We know that I has has had weight issues before. Um, yeah. Now, if she makes weight, she'll most likely uh, be the larger woman uh, in the cage. Um, how do you see that fight playing out? I versus Calderwood. 
to your point, I is going to be the larger woman and, you know, she does go forward and she's probably a slightly better boxer. Um, with all of that said, she's not a particularly big hitter. You know, she, I think she only has, if I'm not mistaken, like one finish in her entire career. And so like, I think I is probably the better fighter. I know she was last time I looked, she was at what plus 100. Is she still there right now? Karen? Uh, right now I'm looking at the odds. This is uh, by on five dimes. I is at plus 100 and Calderwood at minus 120. So I think that's more or less right. Maybe some value on I. Like, I do think I is the better. I think she's a better boxer. I, I think she's got some physical advantages. The problem for me at the end of the day is that Calderwood keeps the volume so, so, so high. And, like, it's WMMA, so it's like, you know, in men's MMA, I might give some credence to, okay, maybe she hits harder and we'll see it. But while I probably does hit harder, I'm not sure she's going to be hurting JoJo. And while I don't think Calderwood can aggressively wrestle her and hold her down – she does land a fair bit of takedowns and her landing takedown to the right spot. Just, I mean, I this is going to be a close fight the way I look at it. It's got frankly, ugly split decision where every, anybody who bet on Jojo is angry. And anybody who bet on I is angry. Like that's what it seems to me. Those are always, those are always great. The ones that yeah. uh, you leave half the people frustrated. Um, <laughs> it'll, it'll be an interesting matchup. Uh, and, and it is, it is a pretty good card. I mean, you, when you put Conor McGregor in a card, yeah. I mean, you, you say, oh, you don't really need an undercard because Conor's going to sell just being Conor, but they are putting together some uh, close fights, uh, some interesting matchups. So another fight on the card is Matt Frivola versus Ottoman Azatir. Um, that should be another, uh, interesting competitive fights. So I'm going to look at the odds right now. Um, as we're speaking on five dimes, Provola at plus 135, uh, Azatir minus 155. What do you think about those numbers and what do you think about that fight? So I have some thought. I have some thoughts here um, in particular. So like I haven't made a pre-fight bet yet. In terms of the numbers where they are for those in the straight money line, I think there's fairly clear value on Frivola, to be honest. Um, in terms of like numbers that I would think about betting, though, the one number pre-fight bet I would think about is Azatar KO1, or Azatar in round one, I should say. Um, I think it's plus 300, because Frivola has had a... Azatar's a very fast starter. Um, he hits pretty hard, and Frivola has had... Let me do this way. When he can't get takedowns right away, he gets he is there to be hit. He seems a bit chinny, and he's there to get hit in space. Um, and so I think the first round of this fight is going to be extremely dicey for Matt Rivola. Uh Now, maybe he can get the wrestling going, but I don't... It's funny, because he's a guy who wrestles a lot, but I don't think he's particularly good at it. Not that he's bad at it. It's like he's very, very average. Like I give him credit for being enthusiastic and optimizing his win condition, but guys with decent takedown defense are just going to stop the takedowns. And I think early in this fight, there's a good chance that Zaytar can. And so the question to me then is, like, how likely is it that Frivola survives early? I do think he probably survives early more likely than not, but I do think there's a fairly strong chance, like north of like 35, 40% that Azaitar could finish him in the first round. So I think Azaitar round one's an ice bet. Other than that, though, I'd be looking at Provola live. Uh, we've seen Azaitar slow in the past. And like I said, you know, Provola, I think he lacks athletic gifts, but he does tend to push a very heavy pace and he will be in your face. He'll be aggressive attempting takedowns. And so if his ITAR can't get him out of there or his power just doesn't translate in this fight, uh, I'd expect Frivola to start taking over the fight in the second round, um, maybe towards the end of it. And so I kind of think while I think the plus 140 on Frivola, like I personally think he should be 
about evens, maybe even a slight favorite. And so I don't hate that money. I think you can almost get, there's almost going to be like a free entry here where you get in for maybe plus 200, plus 250 after a round. And I'd rather approach it that way than go out there knowing he's going to have to walk through fire in round one and might not come out the other side of it. It'll be a very interesting round one for that fight. And we'll see uh, how that goes. And, and like you said, uh, you know, that's, that's something we have to look out for round one and then the adjustments that, that can be made as the fight goes on uh, to close out the main card. We have Marina Rodriguez against Amanda Hebas. So we all saw Amanda Hebas last time uh, took out Paige Van Zandt with, with relative ease uh, center off center yeah. packing from UFC. If you will, this is one of the wider fights on the card. I'm looking at, uh, the current odds as we're speaking on five dimes, he at minus 300 Rodriguez at plus two fifty. Um, when you look at those numbers, uh, do you think it's worth making a play on this fight? And how do you see that one playing out? Yeah, I actually bet Marina Rodriguez here. I played a half unit on her for plus two fifty. Um, Funnily enough, I actually bet when it seemed like everybody else in the community was betting on Rodriguez against Carla in her last fight, I actually bet Carla as a dog there. And I think, you know, the obvious way, the obvious narrative here is Marina can't grapple. And largely, I agree with that. I, I, but I don't think she's got horrible takedown defense. The thing is, people perpetually underrate Carla as far as that because she's small and she doesn't seem to be explosive or athletic. But she's a really good wrestler. She's probably the second best wrestler in the division after Tatiana Suarez. And so in that fight, I was reasonably certain that Carla Suarez was going to hit takedowns whenever she wanted. You know, the trade-off here with Rebos is, I agree, if Rebos gets her down, she's going to do whatever she wants there. Um, I don't really think there's much question about that. But number one, is she going to get her down? She generally, I think, if I'm, if I'm remembering this right, attempts about five and a half takedowns for 15 minutes which is a solid rate, but it's not like crazy. And if you actually look at the kind of takedowns you know, she hits, they're almost all body lock clinch or throws that she does. And if you've actually looked at them, so go look at the Marina Tisha Torres fight and Marina Tisha tried to get her down the same way. And she just couldn't because Marina's a very tall girl for the division. It's not easy to throw somebody that's that tall and it's not easy to get them down from the body lock. And so I don't really think it's a given that Rebus is going to get her down here. Now, maybe she's got a single leg or a double leg in there that we haven't seen that's not on tape. And if that's the case, then she's probably going to justify this line. But if not, like, I think Marina's probably after Zhang and Joanna, the third best striker in that division by a significant margin. I think she's got a significant striking edge here. And we've seen interviews of the Rebus saying she wants to test her striking. If she struggles to get her down, I think she's going to look like an underdog, to be honest. Uh, I'm only going a half unit just because, as I said, you know, I haven't seen T-Box have to shoot a single or double leg yet, and maybe it's there. And if it is there, she's going to win the fight and cover that line. But I do think with the unknowns there, uh, it's wide at the moment. Safe to say you feel the Amanda Hebas train may have a uh, slight stoppage in the rolling <laughs> uh, rolling through the division. Um, well, sorry, go ahead. Sorry, I was going to say, and it's like, I like Amanda Hebas like, a lot, but it's, it's kind of funny how this works, right, with recency bias where everybody bet Marina Rodriguez against a good wrestler up to minus 185, and now she's fighting against a girl who does really nothing but judo throws, and we're saying, oh, she should be plus 250 here. It's like this... <laughs> It's not like her issues on her back were new before the Carla fight. It's just, you know, she lost the fight instead of winning it. 
it's it's a big thing in MMA and boxing, the what have you done for me lately. And yeah. I think part of that is frequency of fights and obviously what we remember in terms of uh, the way these fights played out. Someone like you who's going back and doing the research and watching old yeah. fights back, it may be seeing something else. So that's, that's great perspective there. So uh, that rounds out the main card. Um, as you look down the line of the prelims and the early prelims, so the main card is going to be at uh, 10 p.m. Eastern on Saturday. Yep. That's on ESPN Plus pay-per-view prelims on 8 p.m. Eastern and early prelims at 6.15 p.m. Eastern. Um, any fights, fighters, moments, anything that you're looking out for on the undercards? We, get, we've, we have names we've seen before. We got Pena. We got Roundtree. We got Shoeface on there. Uh, anyone, uh, any, mo- any fights that are sticking out to you? Any plays that you want to well, make on yeah. the undercards? So the uh, prelim, I believe the featured prelim is Nazarat Hackpress and uh, Armin Sarikin. So not only is that a fight between two guys who I think are both, even if they don't have a ranking next to their name, are both top 15 and 155 pounds right now. Uh, I actually do have a lot of interest in this fight. Um, I'm on Nazarat Hackpress for two units already, and the line's still going up, so I'm probably going to hit it again, to be honest with you. Um, I think I'm a big Armin guy, to be clear. I think he's got a lot of tools. I think the kid could be a future champion. I think this line is part we're not going to curse crazy. I think it's, I think it's, I think it's crazy here. Uh, look again, a year ago, Nazrat hack press was minus three fifty against Drew Dober on a Conor McGregor undercard. Drew Dober, who is like one of the most legit fighters at 155 pounds. He lost that fight. He's won since then. And now he comes in here and it's like, I get, so you can look good in a loss to Islam Makachev. But, you know, he struggled with Aubon Mercier, uh, which is kind of concerning. Uh, you know, I bet him in that fight, and that fight was in doubt with two and a half minutes to go. And while he looked great against Davi Hamos, this is not Davi Hamos. And I get the angle is going to be, oh, well, Marcin held, held down Nazareth Hackpress. How can you bet him against the grappler? And to that, I'd say, number one, that fight was almost four years ago. He was 21 years old when that fight happened. Um, he's 25 now. Number two, Saryukin, as good as his grappling looked against Makachev, what I would say is he's an elite scrambler and defensive grappler. He's not an elite offensive wrestler. You know, two for 11 on takedowns against OAB. He struggled to land takedowns against Makachev, which, again, that's not the worst thing ever, but struggled to land takedowns against Hollows. And it's like, nazareth has got very good takedown defense. He had that even before the Held fight. And if you actually look at his last fight against Alex Munoz, who's actually the wrestling coach at Team Alpha Male, he got taken down pretty quickly. But what you saw this time was the first thing he did was he immediately work for an underhook, get to a hip, and get right up. Uh, didn't waste any time on the bottom. And he stopped the rest of the takedowns there. And I'm not ready to say as an offensive wrestler, just in terms of sheer takedown game, that Armin's better than Munoz is. Now, the rest of his game is far better than Alex Munoz is. But in the striking, I actually give a sl- ever so slight edge to Nazrat. And so I look at it and say, could Armin just grapple him to death here? But I guess it's possible, yeah. I don't think it's likely, though, like, at all. I think he maybe he landed a takedown or two. Maybe he gets four to five minutes of control time. But I'm not sure it's going to be enough to offset the striking on the feet. Like, I priced Armin at about 55% myself here. And the current line, I think, is giving pricing him at about 70%. Uh, but it just doesn't make a lot of sense to me. And, uh, that, that's a good spot right there for value. And anything else on the, uh, the, either the prelims or the early prelims that's sticking out to you? Um, yeah, I, I like, I like Andrew Sanchez a bit. Uh, that line's still going up. He's fighting Mahmoud Muradov. Just, you know, some stuff in Muradov's game. I don't hate it. You know, he's been obviously working. He's got a nice stick and move game. 
We've seen him look okay, but if you look at his two fights, you know, the Trevor Smith fight, he obviously looked great, but Trevor Smith basically a dinosaur and just had nothing for him, didn't really even try to wrestle him, just basically let him hit him for 15 minutes. Um, the Jachirico fight was actually a very, very close fight. Uh, and, you know, the problem with Jachirico, as it always is, he just doesn't throw any volume at all. Whereas, and you saw in that fight, Murdoch start to gas pretty aggressively down the stretch of that fight. Whereas Sanchez, I believe, could be mistaken about this. Have to look it up. I think outside of the Ryan James fight, when he gassed out bad, I don't think he's ever been outlanded at distance in his career. Um, but he's a pretty good boxer. Now, I do think Murdoch is a better athlete. I think he's a bit faster. Maybe he can get off on that stick and move game. I don't think, I think pocket exchanges are going to be pretty even. And Sanchez was an NAIA wrestling champion, um, national champion. I think we haven't really seen Murdoch have to you know, deal with really a wrestler who wrestles aggressively yet. Um, and not that Sanchez is particularly aggressive, but I do think that's a big question in his game. Like, you know, it wouldn't shock me if Sanchez turns out Sanchez can put him down whenever he wants or just hold him in the clinch. So I kind of make Sanchez the fight favorite there, and he's currently the fight dog. So I have a small play there. That's uh, that's great analysis, especially deeper down on the card. Um, yeah. And obviously you've, you've done your homework there. Um, so I got to ask you this now. Any Lambo parlays that you're recommending to our audience here? <laughs> Uh, nothing, nothing as of yet. I think I'll probably just go with, uh, Connor KO and Hooker submission. I think that's an interesting one. Connor KO is not the great, not the best odds ever, but I think Hooker submission, I think is up near like plus or not Hooker submission. Sorry. Chandler submission, I believe was up near plus 500. And I actually think he's got a pretty underrated jiu-jitsu game. Like we've seen him hold some serious black belts down with that issue. And he fought, um, Brandon Gertz about a year and a half ago, who's a pretty good grappler in his own right and passed through his guard without any issue and submitted him. So I actually think that's a decent two-legger there. There you have it. So you got, uh, you got Chandler submission and Connor KO one, right? That's, that's your parlay. Yeah. Okay. Got it. Uh, so we'll see how that, that plays out. Um, so just to, just to close it out, I mean, what is, what is your process overall? Uh, we, we obviously talked about the research that you do. Um, I'm sure you're watching back a lot of these fights what, yeah. in, in, in terms of, uh, you know, making plays, what do you think is your edge and, and what is your process? I would say I'm, I'm more dog focused than anything else, to be honest. Um, I, no, it's not obviously not my process, but I, that's generally what I'm looking for is to play underdogs. I kind of think in MMA, long-term playing big favorites is a dangerous game with the variance. Just for example, I put Sue Madurji in a parlay yesterday and I almost had a heart attack at <laughs> the second round of that fight at minus 500. And I was like, I'll deserve it if this loses. Um, but yeah, I, so my general process is I usually, I try, I wish, I hope I don't have a lean coming into the fights, but you know, usually you do. But and you try to eliminate recency bias where you can. But generally, I'll tape fights. What I try to look for, I try to not go. You know, some people go really crazy with tape, and I will on the right fights, especially in grappling heavy fights where you're trying to see. You know, can X fighter hold up to Y fighter on from the bottom? Can they get up? Whatnot. But I think a lot of people overcomplicate things sometimes. Like I want to see fighters in certain situations. Have they faced a kickboxer? Okay. How was their defense in that fight? How was their offense? Um, how about how they looked on their back? Stuff like that. And so I'll usually look at the last two to three fights for each fighter or selectively take fights where I think they face someone with a similar matchup style. Um, after that, I will actually do a pretty deep dive on the stats of the fight. Like I know this is sacrilege to some parts of the MMA community, but I actually think stats are extremely predictive if used correctly, uh, in particular striking stats. Just for instance, uh, the Max Holloway-Calvin Cater fight last week, I thought 
Apollo was an extremely obvious spot just from the stats alone. You know, everybody loved Cater, but the stats told a very different story about who the dominant fighter was in that matchup. Um, and then after that, you know, I'll just look at the line. I'll create my own line first and then look at where it stacks up to it. Generally, I'm looking for a 5-10% edge to make a play. Um, like I said, I'm very dog-focused, and I think in terms of the most important thing with process is trusting it. Like, don't be afraid. Like, I got absolutely buried from about ooh, September through November this year. <laughs> but, you know, that's kind of comes to the territory. Like, I'm not going to be one of these people who's like, I see value, but I'm not going to play it because I don't think they'll win. If I see some of main price at 25%, I think 40%, I'm going to play it. I might lose it 60% of the time. Maybe I'll lose that bet three or four times in a row, but eventually it's going to cash in. So just trusting the process and being willing to deal with the volatility and the swings of having that particular process. Absolutely. Long-term, that's going to be a good strategy, a good yeah. winning strategy. Um, so on Saturday night, we talked about a bunch of matchups. Tell me about when you're watching this card on Saturday, what is the one moment, one fight, one situation? What's the biggest thing you're looking for that you're going to say, I can't wait to see this? What is that? Well, Conor McGregor's fighting. <laughs> so so that, that's, the, that's the easy one. I would say other than that, even though beyond I have a bet on it, um, Hack Press or Yuki is very interesting in particular because – while I have some suspicions, and I think there's some data that suggests uh, Pac Press has cleaned up his defensive grappling, uh, we'll know definitively on Saturday. And if he has, that guy's going to be a serious problem for 155. So I'm very, very interested to see that fight. So to close it out, uh, thank you so much for your analysis, for breaking it down. Tell people where they can find you, where they can follow you, and get more of your picks. Yeah, guys, I am the co-host of the Club and Sub podcast. You can find us on Twitter at Club and Sub. You can find us on YouTube where we do a live show every Wednesday night at 10 p.m. Eastern. But for this week, it's Thursday, 10 p.m. Eastern. And you can find that after the fact on our YouTube channel. Um, you can find me personally on Twitter at John Stargarian or at MMA Fox, F-A-W-K-E-S. Uh, my handle is John Stargarian. MMA, I post all my plays on there as the week goes on, um, along with another a bunch of other thoughts. So yeah, check us out, Club and Sub Podcast, every Wednesday at 10 p.m. Eastern. John, I want to thank you so much again for the time. Thanks for breaking it down and enjoy the fights on Saturday. Thanks a lot, man. I appreciate it, Karen. Have a good one. This podcast is brought to you by squaresandsharps.com. Squares and Sharps is what winners wear. We are the brand for sports bettors. Please visit squaresandsharps.com for high-quality sports betting apparel and gear. Use promo code CURRENT2020 for 15% off your next order and for free shipping. Do you like Jorge Masvidal's Scarface-inspired suit? It was created by Mohan's Custom Tailors of NYC. Turn your own dream into a reality. Visit the legendary Mohan's Custom Tailors located steps away from Grand Central at 301 Madison Avenue. You can contact them at 212-697-0050 or by visiting mohansnyc.com. Make an appointment now. If you're enjoying this show, check out my other podcast, Ask the Experts with Karen Batia. It's available on Apple Podcasts, YouTube, and wherever else you listen to podcasts. And check out my YouTube page, youtube.com backslash Karen Batia. I am Karen Batia. This is Squares and Sharps. I am joined by AJ Shulo. You've seen AJ on Twitter at AJMMABetting. He's a contributor to MMA Odds Breaker and to his website, AJMMABetting.com. So we're obviously getting ready for UFC 257. AJ, how are you doing, my man? Doing well, Curran. Thanks for having me on. Excited to talk about these fights with you on this tremendous card. 
Absolutely. It's always a tremendous card, I think, when Connor's on. It doesn't really matter who else is there. We obviously know he's uh, the biggest star in UFC and MMA. He transcends combat sports, you could say. And when he fights, it's obviously a big deal. But we have a stacked card here to talk about. But let's start on that Connor versus Poirier fight. We know it's a rematch. Um, I know that in your process and in terms of things that you look at, I'm sure you look at the first fight, right? But this first fight was a while ago. This was in 2014. So how much are you looking at the first fight when you're, when you're trying to predict what's going to happen in this, in this upcoming rematch? To be honest, I didn't really look at it at all. I mean, I understand that, you know, the same result can happen and that Connor could go out there and win by quick knockout. We know he's got that power. We know Connor is one of, if not the most dangerous fighters in rounds one and two, uh, but I'm not taking too much away because, like you said, it was so long ago and these guys have are, are just so much different. It was even at a different weight class. So they've matured much more, added more elements to their game. And to me, it's just a completely different fight just due to the timing and what's happened in the meantime. And I think the other storyline or other important thing to look at is obviously the weight. This fight is going to be at 155 pounds. The last time uh, Connor fought it that weight, it wasn't the best result for him. That was in October of 2018 against Khabib. Um, so he, he most recently fought at 170. That was about a year ago against Cowboy. Now he's coming down to 155. How do you think that weight adjustment is going to play out in the cage? Uh, I'm not really factoring it in too much. Connor's got everything nailed down, I think. I just trust his process. He's got his head in the right place from what it seems. And, you know, I more so saw that, that Cowboy fight as like he's trying to get his way back into the UFC. He doesn't have to cut as much weight. He's fighting a guy, uh, another former welterweight at a weight class that they could agree on for a big money fight. So I'm not really factoring that in all too much for this matchup against Poirier. And stylistically, I mean, we know Connor obviously is a striker, uh, Poirier also. So if you look at, at the conventional wisdom, maybe is that, that Dustin takes a little bit of time to kind of get himself acclimated. Um, it can take him a round or so. Connor, obviously we've seen him come out strong against Aldo, against Cowboy and, and many other times. Um, how do you see this fight playing out stylistically? And do you think Connor's going to try to press early? Because uh, do you think the later it goes, maybe the better for Poirier? Yeah, you just said it right there. I think the early exchanges, it's fair to favor Connor. He's very dangerous early on. He's got great distance management, proficient counters, great boxing combos, and he's very dangerous. He's got that power. Um, as the fight goes on, though, we just we've seen it more than once with Connor. He tends to fatigue. Uh, not just in fights that are primarily grappling based, but striking. You know, we saw it in the DS fight twice. We also saw it in boxing against Floyd Mayweather. And I do trust Poirier's output in cardio much more. So if this fight gets extended, I think that it'll go more and more in favor of Poirier. Obviously, Poirier's going to have to mind his P's and Q's in rounds one and two, is that where Connor will be very dangerous. And we have seen Poirier knocked out a couple times. We've seen him hurt, and Connor's got an iron shin. So I do definitely think that Connor will be the bigger finishing threat early on. Uh, but should Poirier extend him? I really do think that his overall activity and his just uh, inside the octagon and just in terms of like how often he's fought, you know, Connor has fought 40 seconds here since 2019, whereas Poirier has gone 25 minutes with Holloway, 25 minutes with Hooker, a couple rounds with Habib. So I like those factors going in favor of Poirier. Yeah, I'm sure Connor's doing his work with the cardio in the meantime, but I would like to see a little bit more of it before I make an assumption that his cardio has improved. And you mentioned Connor's cardio. Obviously, this has a lot of people have talked about this throughout the years in terms of his commitment to the sport. When he fought Khabib, didn't seem like he was necessarily committed to the sport in the right way. Uh, seemed like he was drinking at the press conferences, doing all these other things. When he fought Cowboy, he looked very motivated. Uh, I know he was working with Tony Robbins on that kind of mental approach and then obviously uh, doing what he needed to in the gym. 
there's been talks that in this fight, he spent some time in Portugal. He's been taking it very seriously. Do you expect this to be the motivated McGregor on Saturday night? Absolutely. Whenever I'm assessing a fight, I always just assume it's the, the best version of both guys and kind of just go from there. So yeah, everything that I've, that I've heard and seen from Connor seems like his head is in the right place. And I mean, for me, I know everybody's a little different, but like, I don't want to fall into that trap a little too much. I mean, perhaps even if he was showing up at his best against Khabib, maybe Khabib would have still beaten him anyway. It, you know, again, it could have given Connor a better chance, but it's not necessarily uh, tells me exactly that the result would have been different. So I kind of look at that stuff just very uh, casually, I guess. And I just assess, assume rather we're getting the best version of each fighter. And in terms of making a play on this fight, I mean, do you see any spots for value? I'm looking at the odds right now on five dimes. It says Connor's at minus 290, Dustin at, at plus 245. Obviously, these, these are definitely evolving numbers. I've seen, them, I've seen some movement on these. Um, anything that, that you've seen uh, for this fight that stands out to you? Uh, as it pertains to betting McGregor, it's just a complete pass for me because when I'm seeing a, a, a big favorite at those types of odds, I want to be confident that they could win a decision comfortably should the fight go on. Obviously, Connor could go out there and win by knockout and he could justify that line. But I would like a little bit more uh, certainty, you know, that if he doesn't get the knockout, that he still has other paths to victory. And I'm just not so confident in that because of the, the cardio reason. Horia um, uh, has shown to go out there and fight 25 minutes and win win rounds against cardio machines like Max Holloway. Uh, against very proven fighters like Dan Hooker. So I just trust Poirier a bit more should the fight get extended. So I actually do think from a straight perspective, the values on Poirier, I do think that it's Connor's rep that's driving the line. Again, I get it. He could win. He's, you know, I wouldn't be shocked at all if Connor wins. But from a betting perspective, I really do truly believe that it's a dog or pass scenario here because, again, we, Connor has looked great from when we've seen him recently. But again, it's we see the majority of his rep be predicated on what he did a few years ago, primarily. So I really do believe that the value is on Poirier. And just to put a button on this main event fight, it sounds like from, from what I'm hearing that you would actually be more impressed if Connor had a flawless, uh, you know, five round fight the way that Max Holloway did, uh, you know, a week ago. Um, it seems like something like that would impress you more than if Connor uh, had a quick finish, because then we'd see that the cardio is there and that the stamina is there. Yeah, absolutely. Because with a fighter like Connor, he's obviously very great at what he does. But if he adds more layers to his game, that makes him even more compelling of a fighter. Obviously, he's compelling as is. But, you know, should he round out those parts of his game, fix up the cardio? Because um, that's been really his his Achilles heel, if you're going to say there is one about him. And as a result, we saw him submitted by Diaz, by Khabib. If he could fix that up, I, I truly believe that and it could be Connor that could be, you know, any lightweight on any given fight day, you know, because there is a case to be made that, you know, he is... Uh, you know, the second best, obviously, Khabib is the champ and everything. But, you know, even in this very deep weight class, this very stacked weight class, Connor, should he fix it up, is, is definitely a polarizing uh, figure, even more so. Connor, obviously, the charismatic uh, fighter, transcending MMA. Uh, the cardio is a question, like you said, those fights you pointed out, Diaz and Khabib. And then even in the boxing match against Mayweather, seemed like he tired out. He pointed to fatigue in the post-fight interview as the reason uh, he ended up losing that fight in the 10th round. Um, now, obviously, a boxing match has different length, and that, that time period was actually longer than what would be a regulation MMA fight um, in terms of five full rounds. But Still, it's always a question. Uh, so we'll see how that plays out on Saturday night. So looking down the card, another excellent matchup, Dan Hooker versus Michael Chandler. So 
obviously a lot to unpack here on this fight. Hooker uh, took down, took on Poirier last time around. And then Chandler, uh, we've seen him in Bellator now doing his thing in UFC. Um, what would be your overview of this fight and, and how do you see this one playing out? So it's interesting because I've had some free time here in the past like day or so. And so I've kind of been digging deeper on some ty- on some fights that say I didn't take a huge deep dive on because I thought initially I wouldn't have a bet. But this is a fight where I liked Hooker initially. And as I'm kind of doing more research, I like him a bit more. Um, he's just a much more trustworthy UFC lightweight. I mean, uh, just factually, you know, we, we've seen him in there. He could compete with guys like Poirier, elite level lightweights. Whereas like Chandler, he's great in Bellator and everything, but there there is history that shows that some of these guys that are coming over from Bellator or from another promotion, they don't have as much success as say they would in that promotion because we think of the UFC as, as the best, the most competitive. Um, obviously, there's fighters like Yuri Prohoshka from Ryzen came back, came in here, made an excellent debut. So it's not to say that that's the case every time, but I just trust Hooker a lot more uh, in terms of like level of comp. We know what we're getting out of him. And Chandler, even stylistically, you know, I do like Hooker. I understand that he hasn't really been faced with a wrestler, the pedigree of Chandler, you know, NCAA division one, nor the athlete, but I do generally trust hookers defensive grappling enough to keep the fight standing or get up when need be to avoid kind of getting uh, laid on for three rounds, basically, and avoid, you know, significant bottom control, bottom position. And I just like him more in a striker battle. He's longer. I think he's got the, uh, the more buried tools on the feet. I think he's craftier as well with his knees. You know, Chandler, he's got, you know, some different tools, but I think that Hooker definitely has more layers to his striking and he could operate out of both stances. And I do think Hooker's the bigger finishing threat here. You know, we've seen Hooker go in there, uh, look super tough more than once against Barboza, against Poirier. The guy is, I wouldn't like to see him take as much damage, damage as he does, but he does wear the, you know, he does take the damage while he's very tough to finish. Whereas Chandler, we've seen him knocked out a couple of times. There's even fights that he wins, but he still gets rocked in. So I do really believe that even though Chandler hits really hard and, and Hooker is hittable, if you could close that distance and get inside because he tends to keep his hands low, his head's kind of on the center line. I do truly believe that Chandler or uh, Hooker rather is the bigger finishing threat. And I do think he's the better round winner with his work, work rate, su- uh, superior striking and good enough defensive grappling to avoid kind of any significant bottom position. Certainly not a submission. I'd be shocked to see Chandler uh, do anything with a, in terms of a stoppage on the ground against Hooker. Yeah, Chandler's certainly a fan favorite, but but to your point, I mean, when guys come from another league, we just don't know. It depends on the opposition that they're facing. Um, obviously, it seems like the top opposition is going to be in the UFC, so now he's getting his chance. Now, that doesn't mean that you can't come to the UFC and be dominant, um, but that that it, it that just because you were dominant or did well in another league or the champion in another league doesn't mean that that, that would necessarily translate to the UFC, and that's what we're going to find out on Saturday night. What do you think about, I know that hooker has said he's uh, talked to uh, his teammates and watched uh, Izzy and Volkanovsky. And he, he learned from them that sticking to the game plan is, is important. Um, and that might be something that's been difficult for him to do in the past. Do you think he'll be able to do that? Do you think he'll be able to uh, kind of avoid going into a war and stick to the game plan? I think so. And one thing that he has going in favor for him that could help is three rounds instead of five. You know, we've seen in some of these three, these five round fights with Felder, Poirier specifically, where he has some early on success. And then as the fight kind of weighs in, you know, these, these really tough guys in Felder and Poirier are able to close that distance, get some damage on him. And as a result, win those later rounds, but he doesn't have to worry about losing rounds four and five here. You know, I do really believe that in addition to just coming out with a better strategy, um, you know, he doesn't have to worry about, 
you know, potentially those, those later on exchanges hurting him for that reason. Not that the guy's got bad cardio or anything, but you know, it's very favorable for a guy like hooker who has proven, who's proven to have uh, good success against high level UFC lightweights in their earlier rounds. And, you know, I don't going along with that point. I don't particularly trust Chandler's cardio a whole lot either in terms of just, you know, take him down, you know, like obviously we just saw Ricky Simone land eight takedowns in like two rounds. I wouldn't expect that out of Chandler, but um, I do really believe that we can see him come in with a better strategy working with those guys, uh, his good friend Israel Adesanya. So I would be 0% surprised that we see Hooker look even better than he has shown in the in recent time. And so obviously it seems like uh, you're pretty high on Hooker after doing your research um, on this, which uh, it sounds like you've done extensively. I'm looking at the numbers here. I mean, uh, mostly across the board, I'm seeing Hooker mostly around one, minus 130. Uh, Chandler at plus 110. Anything that sticks out to you in terms of spots for value, either either uh, betting on that or prop bets or anything like that with this fight? I haven't bet anything yet, but if I do bet it, it would be just hooker straight. I don't really want to get like too cute with it. I could see him winning a decision. I could see him winning by finish. And I would just rather cover both outcomes because the, the odds, like you point out, there's a little bit of juice on them, but not nothing too crazy. And I just feel like by investing in hooker, it's like a, a better long-term uh, strategy because that's what I like to do long term approach. I don't want to get married to just one outcome um, by investing in the guy that we we know is is more proven in the UFC octagon that we know even stylistically he has advantages here on paper. So um, I do really feel like if I were to bet this fight, it would just be the the hooker money line. And as we continue down the card here, we have Jessica I versus JoJo Calderwood. So we know Jessica. Uh, Jessica has had, missed weight a few times, um, but if she does make weight, she'll certainly be the larger woman uh, in the cage. Um, how much do you think the the weight is going to play a factor in this fight? I'm not exactly sure. They've kind of both struggled with some intangible things in the past. I know that uh, the, the, the loss that Calderwood had uh, with Maya, you could kind of weight it similarly in that, you know, you don't know how that's going to affect her, her confidence, something like that. Um, but you did point out, you know, the weight issue with with I missing weight. She, um, she 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 appeared frantic to me on the scales last time. So obviously that's not a good look. Um, there is a chance that, that you know she she looks better, or even if she, if she does happen to miss weight, that you know Calderwood just like let me take this fight. Supposedly there's some there's some beefing between the two. Who knows? Maybe Calderwood would accept the fight anyway. But to me, um, I'm just kind of assessing the fight as if they're both at their peaks mentally preparation wise, things like that. And I, I do tend to agree with the odds and that it's very competitive. You know, I think that I's got the sharper boxing. She's got better head movement, better footwork, but it's Calderwood that on the outside with her diverse set of kicks will have the advantage there. She also throws at the higher work rate, just Calderwood. And to be honest with you, and it's not something that I could bake on bank on because she just doesn't go for takedowns is I, I think has a clear path with, with grappling here. Cause we've seen Jojo susceptible to defensive grappling, more than once as recently as her last fight. But I think more than likely it'll actually be Calderwood that is more likely to get the takedown. She could catch kicks. She could get double legs against the fence. Yes, her wrestling isn't great, but I do think that she has more takedown upside of the two. So in the matchup, I do slightly lean with Calderwood, but I understand the odds being very competitive. And and with that said, in terms of leaning with Calderwood, I mean, looking at, at the odds across the board here, mostly pretty close. Five times right now as we're speaking, plus 100 on I. Uh, minus 120 on Calderwood. So is that enough of a situation where you feel like there's value or would you would you call this more of a pass then? I'd call it a pass. I'd like Calderwood to hit uh, a decent underdog price around like plus 150 or so to to warrant a, a play on or, or consideration rather. 
And as we continue down the card, um, we have, so it is, you know, a lot of the times we have stacked cards. I mean, when you have Connor at the top, you know, people are going to watch, right? So that's, that, that can always dictate the way these, uh, these undercards come together. We have Frivola versus Azatar. Uh, that's at 155 pounds at lightweight. Um, that's, that's going to be a, an, another, uh, competitive matchup. So I'm looking at, at five dimes right now Frivola at plus 135, uh, Azatar in the comeback at minus 155. Um, take me through that fight. Any, anything you're seeing there, any, any spots for value on that one? Man, it's tough. Cause I could, I could really see the path to victory for Frivola. I really can. I think he's got better cardio and better grappling, but like his margin for error is like so small here. Cause we know as Itar just hits with like a ton of bricks and Frivola is he's tough and he's aggressive, but he's really wild, man. Like he leaves himself open a lot to counters. Uh, we saw him knocked out against Polo Reyes. He was hurt by Venata. He was hurt by Turner. He was hurt by Pena. So like early on, I think that Zaitar is athletic enough and strong enough to where if Frivola could get him down, he could probably pop right back up. Frivola isn't the greatest top control uh, grappler. But as the fight goes on, if Frivola is able to fatigue him, because I do think that as the fight goes on, it'll go more and more in favor of him, just like we talked about with, with Poirier and McGregor. But man, I just, I really feel like Azaitar is a better striker and he's the bigger finishing threat here. And I do think there's some reason for optimism here that despite him showing on the regional scene that, you know, he's been rocked multiple times, he's shown susceptibility to, like we talked about cardio grappling, that it, it could have improved in the meantime, but not something I would personally like to bank on. Uh, certainly, I wouldn't want to bet Azaitar knowing that this could be the matchup where those uh, areas of his game that he can improve on could, could show their face yet again. So it's one where I'm going to sit back and enjoy. It should be fun for as long as it lasts. These guys should come forward. They should uh, be aggressive. And I'm looking forward to viewing it from a fan perspective. Always great when you can sit back, uh, put the feet up, enjoy a drink and enjoy a fight with nothing on the line. Also great when, when you do have something on the line uh, as well. So closing out that main card, uh, we have a probably the widest fight on the main card. Uh, and that is Amanda Hebas. Uh, we saw her in last time against Paige Van Zant doing her thing. It didn't seem to be uh, too much of a challenge there. Uh, obviously, we know Paige now moving on to uh, BKFC. Uh, she's taking on Rodriguez. Seems like Hibas has hopes for a big fight coming up. Um, there's there's obviously a lot of hype around her. Um, it, it won't necessarily be an easy fight. Um, and I'm looking right now on five dimes as we're talking. Minus 300 for Hibas. Rodriguez is plus 250. Um, how would you look at that fight and, and anything sticking out to you in that one? Yeah. What's really sticking out to me the most is Rivas really hasn't faced a, a striker in the UFC on the caliber of Rodriguez. I am generally high on Rodriguez. I actually think she's one of the, the better strikers in this weight class. She's very technical. She's threatening. She has solid volume and she's not only dangerous in open space, but in the clinch as well. And, and she could hurt people in there. Like she's really dangerous. And the, so on the feet, I think it's close, but you know I, I can see Rodriguez besting Rebos. I could see it happening just based on her her aggression, her power, her technique in clinch game. But why I agree with Rebos being the favorite is because she has that grappling path. We've seen Rodriguez in more than one fight taken down, get controlled, 
and nearly get finished. You know, she was mounted by Marco. She was controlled. She was nearly finished by Cynthia Calvillo to the point where the referee was, was intervening and asking her to fight back uh, 10-8 round there. And even against Carla Esparza, she wasn't, you know, taking as much damage. She wasn't as much threatened, but we still saw her taken down and get controlled. And so Rebos is a, a an excellent Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu practitioner, BJJ Black Belt, very proficient in scrambles, like at taking the back. And she's also got the takedown game to back it up. She comes from a judo uh, background. So a lot of clinch-based takedowns, trips, things like that. I think that if they do clinch up, like we say, Rodriguez will be a threat to land those knees um, and elbows. And she does tend to frame off. But I do think that Rebus will be able to take her down if she attempts multiple takedowns. And from there, she could control Rodriguez and, and who knows, maybe even be the first fighter to finish her. So I see it as a competitive striking match, but ultimately why I agree with Rebus being the favorite uh, is because she has a, a path where it should be clearly she's in control. There really shouldn't be a whole lot of resistance there should she get in top position. It will be a solid uh, main card on Saturday night, Saturday, January 23rd. It's on ESPN Plus pay-per-view. Starts The main card starts at 10 p.m. Before that, we got prelims at 8 p.m. and early prelims at 6.15 p.m. Uh, all these times are Eastern. And um, as you go down the card here, um, you know, there's names that we, we've heard of and we've seen before. We got Roundtree on there, Pena, a bunch of other people, uh, other fighters that we've seen in the cage before. Um, any fights or fighters that, that stick out to you, any spots for value as you kind of look down the line? Um, so in terms of like value plays, I actually like Tavares in the matchup against Antonio Carlos Jr. I actually think that this is a matchup where historically Tavares has the, the type of fighter that Tavares is, is like the kryptonite to ACJ, a guy that has superior cardio and strong defensive grappling, which I think Tavares has. He's uh, good in terms of technique. He's also very strong. He's not an easy guy to just control on the ground for multiple rounds. So despite ACJ being huge, he's a former heavyweight, an excellent Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu practitioner. I think Tavares will give him a lot of resistance with the grappling. And as a result, he will fatigue ACJ. We've seen ACJ fatigue more than once against Heinish, against Kelly. And as a result, he slows down and is comfortable being on his back. And so the way I see it is, yeah, Tavares, he's coming off a knockout loss. I don't feel comfortable backing him against threatening strikers, which he's shown to be susceptible to. But ACJ, a set that I came across when researching this fight, zero knockdowns in the UFC and, and zero knockouts professionally. So again, can a knockout happen? Sure. But based off that, I don't think it's particularly likely. And I just think that Tavares, in addition to having the cardio advantage and, and being able to neutralize the grappling to a certain extent, I do think he's a much better striker, much more technical, better counter striker, um, better defense as well. So despite the five inch reach disadvantage, I think that Tavares will be besting him there in terms of just like a fun fight that I'm really looking forward to. And this is no secret is, is the headliner on the prelims, you know, Armin Tarukian and Nazareth Hackbrass. It doesn't get any better than this for, you know, like hyped prospects. I think they're both, you know, win, lose or draw here. I think they both have bright futures. They're both very young and they've already shown to be very, very promising. And I've made money betting on them both in the past. Um, I've actually max bet Tarukian this past two fights. And I actually bet, um, yeah, Trukin this past two fights, and then Hack Press against Joachim Silva, bet against Hack Press against Dover and Muno. So, again, a little hit or miss on that side. But why I like this matchup is because I think it's very competitive on the feet. I think they're both excellent strikers. But why I agree with Trukin being the favorite is he's got the, uh, the grappling path. Um, I think that Nazareth has good takedown defense, but you know, the difference between defending takedowns for me, at least against a guy like Munoz versus a guy like Trupian is against Munoz. That was really the, the main thing he had to worry about, right? Obviously he respect, he respected his, his striking, but that was like the main 
uh, game plan. Just sprawl and brawl, keep the fight standing where you're a much better striker. Against Tarukian, who's also an excellent striker, he's got a lot of very tools. He's got solid volume. He's very defensively sound. I do think that Nazrat will be a bit more threatened there. Not that I'm expecting him to knock him out, but that adds a, another path to victory for Tarukian where he could realistically, you know, get the better of the striking exchanges. The striking exchanges could be competitive, but Tarukian could get over that hump and win those rounds by getting some top control time, even though I don't think that he's just going to take down Nazrat and control him for all three rounds or something like that, but, you know, get some top control time, rest for about a minute or so. So I'm really looking forward to that fight. I do think it's a bit more competitive than, than the odds indicate currently, but I do favor uh, Tarukian nonetheless. We shall see that fight right now. Uh, Tarukian is looking at minus 290. Uh, and and on the comeback, it's plus two forty five. So we'll see how that fight uh, goes down. It, it should be a a fun Saturday night. So let me ask you this: of all the fights we talked about, or any of the other ones, what is the fight, the moment, the event that you on Saturday night are looking most forward to? That you want to say, oh, I can't wait to see if this happens. I can't wait to see the the main event, man. I know that that's going to be the the obvious answer, but that's really what I want to know. I want to know what kind of form. Conor McGregor's in, you know, what is, what does he look like after all this time off? You know, obviously we saw him look great against Cerrone, but that's only 40 seconds. We saw a couple uh, layers added to his game. He utilized the shoulder strikes, which appear to be new, but he's actually done that in the past as well. Um, so I would like to see what a, a developed uh, Conor has done in the meantime. What, what sort of tools has he added to his game and what has Dustin Poirier done? I mean, there's even reason to believe that maybe he's changed things up a little bit, you know, working with American top team, uh, you know, having this 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 fight that he's so wanted for a long time. You know, he said a while ago on Twitter, I think me and Connor running it back makes a lot of sense right after the the Khabib fight. So I think that this is a great fight for both guys based off where the lightweight division is at. It couldn't have been a more perfect fight. And so this is the fight that I'm most looking forward to. It's the, the most popular answer, I would guess, but I do think it's rightfully justified. It's definitely justified because I think uh, as as great as Connor is, um, he also can back it up a lot of the time with with the stuff he talks about and things like that. And he's kind of proven us wrong. Anytime you bet against him, like against Aldo or in other situations against Alvarez, maybe didn't think he'd be as dominant as he was. He's found a way to do that. So we'll see if he continues that process, uh, th- you know, through that uh, through his rise here. So just a, just a couple more questions before we close it out. I wanted to ask you about your process. Um, I know that, that, you know, when you're making plays, doing research, uh, obviously there's going to be good days and bad, good moments and bad. Uh, how do you stay positive and, and, and what is your overall process? So like we talked about before, I just, I, and I've, I've actually come to be wise to this more so recently, like in the past week or two is to not get married to one outcome. It can be very discouraging to do all the work and then see a fight play out and then your bet loses. But at the end of the day, we're handicapping these fights for a reason. You know, we want to set percentages. So we kind of list all the foreseeable outcomes so that it shouldn't be this huge shock, um, you know, where where if one of them comes up, I can't just look at fights one way and go, this is the only way the fight is going to go out. And so as a result, I want to factor in all these foreseeable outcomes and in the, the ingredients to that, you know, who's the better grappler, who's the better clinch fighter, who's the better striker. And by how much, who's the bigger finishing threat. So there is such a thing as analysis pipe paralysis sort of thinking. But for me, I tend to kind of just zone everything out. I don't want to get distracted for crying out loud. I only check my emails like twice a day because I want to just stay fully focused on what it is I'm doing. So I understand for everybody in the industry and there's a lot of great content out there. And I listen to these guys every single day I can, but when I'm actually looking for upcoming fights, I want to do my own research ahead of time before I listen to these other guys talk. Cause I know I respect their opinion so much. 
that I want to, you know, again, hear, hear them out, but I also want to do my own research, um, give my own sort of organic thoughts on the fight and, and see exactly what happens. Sometimes I'm right. Sometimes I'm wrong, but it's, it is a long-term game and it, it, that's kind of been beaten to a drum, but it's so true. It, it's, it can be easy to get really excited uh, for one event. And I think, you know, winning one event is great, but I don't, I don't get like, I, I'm happy that when I win, but I, I don't get like overly excited because the other day I'm like, it's just one event. Just like if I lose one event, I'm just like, it's one event, you know, like I could get right back on the horse next week. Um, so I just, for, for me, I guess like the, the concise answer would be just take everything with a grain of salt. Um, obviously it, it's awesome when we can learn something, we, when we can make money and we can enjoy this. Uh, but in terms of just like wins and losses, um, I just like to look at the, the, the general, the grand scheme of things rather than just kind of looking at one thing microscopically and then be like, man, uh, this bet didn't cash. It, it looked like such a bad bet, but like really, you know, some of the stuff it, it is flukish and, you know, does happen to look worse than maybe we think it does pre-fight, but that's just the name of the game. It's variance. It happens. It's a fist fight in the octagon. So not getting too high on those highs and not getting too low on the lows is, is great advice. Uh, and obviously you've had some excellent analysis here on this card. Um, so just to close it out, where can people find you and get more of your analysis, get more of your picks? Sure. So I'm on Twitter, um, at AJ MMA betting. My website is www.ajmmabetting.com. I also contribute to MMA odds breaker as well. If you would like to tail my picks for free, because that's what I'm doing in the for, uh, for the for fe- ah, foreseeable future, uh, you could do so at betmma.tips backslash AnthonyS364, which is also the third-party tracking site that myself and many others use that's very helpful. Um, I not only give you a, a bet, but a, a written breakdown as to why. And you could also access that same information. I basically take a screenshot of the email that I send to the mailing list subscribers on Twitter. So it's posted on Twitter and then also to the mailing list on my website, ajmmabetting.com. So upon a subscription to the mailing list, you receive this email automation of, of all the bets that I have upcoming for, for any cards. I have bets uh, posted for the next couple months here. So you, re- you would receive that automatically upon uh, hitting that subscribe button on, on the website that I have. So that's where you can find them. Great stuff. Thank you so much for breaking it down. AJ, enjoy the fights on Saturday night. I appreciate your analysis and I look forward to talking to you again soon. Likewise. Have a good one. Thank you. Thank you. And thank you so much for joining me on Squares and Sharps. I hope you found some spots for value. Enjoy the fights on Saturday night. It's always a big moment in all of sports when Conor McGregor fights and we have that coming up on Saturday night. Enjoy the fights and thank you so much.